Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We would love to connect with you today for listening to our podcast. Please fill out a connect card on our website at c3naz.net. You can also support the ministries of Cross Community by giving online on our website. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. If you have your Bibles, you know where we're turning to. So get out your Bible, whether that's in book form or in app form. And we'll be reading today from the New International Version in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Now I'm excited and a little scared about this new series. Uh, I'm excited because I have I've preached maybe a sermon or so from this book here and there. But I've never preached through this letter before. And so I'm excited to be able to do that. I'm excited to do all the nerdy studying and history and all that. It's just fun to break out commentaries today and look at what this letter is all about. It's going to be fun. I'm excited about that part. But I'm scared for a couple of reasons. Uh, The first reason, I'm afraid we're never going to get out of chapter 1 because there's just so much stuff there. And so I'm going to try my best to get us through the book in six weeks. Uh, if not, we'll break for Advent and Christmas and maybe come back to it during Epiphany. But it, it is just such incredible work in here and a beautiful uh, literary work that Paul does in this letter to this small house church. Number two, I'm, I'm a little scared because this letter is going to challenge some of our modern Christian assumptions. And we'll, we'll get to into some of those today. And when our modern Christian assumptions are challenged, sometimes that makes us upset. And, and so we get a little frustrated. And sometimes that's directed at the one who brings the message. Uh, and that's okay. I'm going to face my fear if you will hang in there with me. Because I absolutely am convinced that this is really, really, really good news even for modern Christians today in the United States in Kalamazoo, Michigan. So, if you have your scriptures open, we're going to read Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. This is how most letters opened up back in, back in the day. Tell them who's writing. And then tell you a little bit about themselves. Then you go on and you talk about who you're writing to. So Paul says in verse 2, To God's holy people in Colossae. Now, I don't know if you know how radical that statement is. To come from a Jew who was trained as a Pharisee to see that God's people were only ethnic Jews. But something so radical had happened in Jesus that now non-Jews could be referred to by the title that you only gave to an ethnic Jew, which is a holy one. And Paul radically says to this probably predominantly non-Jewish little house church in Colossae that he is writing Not to just some random Gentiles, but to God's holy 
people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. And he goes on. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people, God's holy ones again. The faith and love that spring up from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world just as it has been doing among you since the days you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You leaned in. You, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. This is the Word of God for the people of God, both here and online. And our response, as always, is thanks be to God. Now, in order for us to understand this letter and the radical nature of what Paul is trying to get across and call this little house church together, we have to understand something about Roman culture. And rather than giving you a lecture about Roman culture, I wanted to compare it to something that I have vague memories of, you know, because I was in high school shortly after it was invented back in the Dark Ages. But I remember something about high school, and I think it will help us understand a little bit about Roman culture. When it came to Roman culture, there was a pantheon of gods. And those gods were far removed from us. They, we kind of maybe had a general idea of where they might hang out. They stirred up trouble every now and then, sometimes got into a little fight, but you kind of knew they were there and you just tried to do whatever was necessary to please them. It's kind of like the district administration. They, they are in a building somewhere in the district. We kind of had a vague idea. Now, this is, this is me as a high school student. A vague idea that there was a district administration somewhere, but you just tried to get on with your life and do what you needed to do, and hopefully they would never be involved in your daily life. Next was the government. And the government was kind of like the principals in the high school. You know, they were there. They, they kind of represented the district administration. In fact, the, the, the main principal or the emperor in Roman times even thought he was kind of like a god, a little god. He represented the gods to the people. They kept order, but they, again, were kind of off in their offices like the principal. Now, if you're a principal today, as a high schooler, I had no idea what you do. I just thought you sat in your office and you waited to reprimand and give referrals and, and punishments to those of us who broke the rules. So the government is kind of like the principles of our day. Then the religious leaders are like the teachers. 
because there were so many gods, there were a lot of different teachers, just like in high school. There are a lot of different subjects, and so there are a lot of different teachers. Some teach gym, and they hang out in the gym. Some teach biology, and so they're in the science area, and they have all the labs and different things. Some are math teachers, and some are English teachers. They do all of their thing, and they have their own places, and you kind of venture into them to learn if that's what you want to do. In Roman culture, and in this place in Colossae, you would, as a person, as a member of that town, you would want to go and learn these things from these different teachers, these different religious leaders. In fact, there was a synagogue that was there. And so Yahweh, that we talked about over the last five weeks, would have a place where you could go and you could learn and you could hear and and the, the priests would be there, a part of that. The religious leaders are kind of like the teachers, hanging out in the room. You, you go to them to learn what you need to learn. And you hope for minimal interaction after that. They might give you a little work to do so that you can learn this better. But that's kind of what you would do. Then, soldiers. It was a big military present. Rome occupied all of the Mediterranean area. And they had soldiers there to keep the peace. Kind of like the security guard in your school. You know that they're there to keep the peace. But you want to make sure that you do nothing to disturb the peace because you don't want them coming into your space and into your territory. This would have been very much like living in Colossae. There would have been soldiers around everywhere. And you were glad kind of that they were there to keep the peace. But you wanted to keep your head low and not get involved in anything because they had a lot of power. And then society itself was divided much like the school cafeteria. I don't know how it is today, kids, but in my day, it was all in the the little guilds that we had. You know, you had the sports guild with all the, you know, the people who do the sports thing. And then you you had the the nerd guild, you know, that loved all kinds of different... And that was broken into subcomponents. There was like the fantasy nerd guild. And there was like the electronics nerd guild. And there was the... uh, you know, just, you know, the language nerd guild, or, and then there was the special nerds that were the chess club. You know, it was just one of those. And it was divided into all of this. And never would these groups mix. They even had their own table. They had their own sides of the cafeteria. And you just kind of knew where you were supposed to go. Very much like Roman culture. It was divided along power and prestige and title and education and money and what you did. And beyond that, even more so between men and women, between different religions, Jew and non-Jew, between those who had and those who had not. And these things never crossed those boundaries They stayed, you knew where your lane was, and you stayed in your lane, and to get out of your lane was a major, major thing. Whether you were rich and interacting more than just throwing some coins to somebody who was poor, if you interacted with them, if you did more than that, it began to be looked at a little funny, a little strange. You're giving them too much of yourself There was a real fear that if those lanes, those boundaries were broken, all of society would collapse into chaos. And so everybody stayed in their own part of the cafeteria. But then, in Colossae walks this, until then, probably really unknown person named Epaphras. 
And he comes home. This is his hometown. And he wants to tell some of his people what he has seen in Ephesus. And he has heard a message from this guy called Paul or Saul of Tarsus. And he saw something there that was different. What was the message that he heard? Now I'm going to jump back into my metaphor of the high school. Are you ready? What he heard from Paul was this. That the superintendent left the superintendent's office and came all the way down to the cafeteria. And on the way down to the cafeteria, he pulled principals out of their office like Joseph of Arimathea. He pulled teachers out of the lounge like Nicodemus and, and many others. And he came down into the cafeteria and he pulled various students from various groups and he brought them all together and they ate together and they hung out together and they got to know each other. I mean, Jesus, when he pulled his disciples, he had those who worked for the Roman government and those who were violently resisting the Roman government. He had everybody in his group together and he taught them, the superintendent taught them all how to live together like a family and they were enjoying it but you know what he changed everything in the school culture he crossed all of the boundaries like they just didn't even exist for him and he began to see something and this began to stir up trouble. And people didn't like the changes. And so they ganged up on him and they drug him away and they fired him. They got rid of that one who is changing things for the worse and bringing chaos into our world. But the interesting thing is, is that three years later, the superintendent was out doing something new. In fact, the superintendent was now building a brand new school. And that school was going to be a place where all the changes that he had brought, all the love, all the boundary breaking, all the boundaries not even existing anymore, the family time of all these different people groups together, that was going to be everywhere in the new school. And when that new school is completed... We will be in there and anyone is invited to begin to do this. And so right now we need to practice that life, that boundary free, that, that moving together with people, that living together as family, the family of the school, the family of God. We live that out now, practicing and inviting others to join us so that when the school is here, we're all ready to go in. All right. I know this is a little bit of a silly example. <laughs> I hope you're clicking with me in the metaphor. Because what Epaphras heard was about this Jesus, who though he was in the image of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be used for his own benefit, but he emptied himself. And when he was in human form, he became a servant to all and was obedient even to the point of death. Therefore, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would have opportunity to bend, every tongue would have opportunity to confess that he is Lord, that the way he lived is the way. And he came home changed. 
And this little example, this silly example, should show us or remind us or maybe wake us up or introduce us for the first time to how radical the work of Jesus is and how radical what He called the church to do and live out is incredibly, incredibly radical. And we've kind of maybe lost some of this in our modern day where we're safe and it's okay to gather and we can choose who we want to gather with and we can hang out with who we want to have and we can invite who we want to invite. This was something different. This little church actually believed that the walls of society, the cultural boundaries, the things that kept people apart were actually torn down in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And they came together because they knew that someone eternally greater was here and had done something for their lives. They came together from all walks of life. They ate together. They prayed together. They served one another sacrificially. And when they went back out into society, they found new ways to relate in their roles. Can you imagine if that was your culture, if you could jump back into that moment and and take a time machine and go back and you would see all the divisions that were happening and then you walk into a little house church in Colossae and you stumble in there and you see someone who owns that person. But when they're at the church, the owner serves the servant. And they eat from the same tray and they drink from the same cup. That someone who has grown up all their life as a Jew saying, I shouldn't be around these non-Jews because they're unclean. And yet, he kneels down and washes the feet of the dirty traveler and wants him to be cared for. That is radical. That is what the church was called. And this was going to raise some eyebrows. This was going to maybe even worse get that little house church into a lot of trouble because they were going against the way society was to be set up. So Paul writes a letter to them from prison. He wants to encourage them. He wants to show them the radical cosmic change that Jesus started and is finishing. He uses his famous trio to do this. Are you ready? Three words. Paul loves to use them. They're smattered throughout his letters. And that is the word faith, love, and hope. Now we're, we're really used to the one where it's faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. In this version, it's faith, love, and hope. Puts them a little different. So we'll look at this. I want to dive in here. This is verse 4. Paul's saying why they pray for this little church. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love, everybody say love, you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope, everybody say hope, stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. Let's look at faith in Christ. Sorry, not a lot of Greek words today one and you've heard it a bunch of times but faith in christ i want you to know when paul writes faith in christ he is not talking about just believing a few things about jesus 
might give mental assent to, okay, he was the God-man, and he was the Son of God, and fully human, and he died on a cross. And it, it includes those things, but it's not just about those things. When he says that they are, he's excited about their faith in Christ, he's heard about it, he's saying that they are trusting that what God did in and through Jesus changed everything. It changed everything. And there's something new that is happening that's been unleashed in the world. And because of that, I can now choose to stop following my way, the word is repent, and move into and be counted as a member of God's family. No matter how much money I make, no matter what culture I'm from, no matter what race I happen to be from, no matter what I've done in my past, He can redeem it all, He can restore it all, and make me a child of God. This is what it means to have faith in Christ, that I'm fully trusting that what Jesus did created a place for me. And oh, by the way, for you too. Not the band, you. Although it includes the band. Faith is oriented toward what Jesus has done. Hope is trusting in the fulfillment of Jesus' future plans. That it started back here. I have faith. I'm trusting completely that what he did has created a space for me, redeems me, saves me, heals me. I have a place in his family. But it's not done. It is moving through history. And one day will reach fulfillment. The new school will be built. And there won't be any boundaries there. We can learn together. We can live together. We can eat together. We can be together. And one day... That is going to intersect with this world and it's going to be heaven on earth. That's why, Jesus, that's why Paul writes that this cosmic change is going to, be, it's come, going to come to full fruition. And he writes, he writes it this way, that the hope is stored up for y'all, not just you, not just me as an individual, but y'all, all y'all in heaven. Now, here's, here's one of those things where I'm going to challenge a little bit. He's not talking about the pearly gates, streets of gold, escaping the troubles of this world right now. You know, when we get into that mindset, then we stop forgetting that there's something we're supposed to do here in the present. And we just kind of, oh, I just got to endure till I get there. Now, I'm not saying that, they, please hear me, this is not saying that there's not streets of gold. That's Revelation chapter 21. There's not a place where there's no more tears and no more sorrow. That's, that's in the book of Revelation. But that place is actually coming to earth. It is intersecting with earth. If you read that in its entirety, he says, I saw the city, I saw the streets of gold, and they were coming down. And the declaration was, now God's place is among people. And he is with them, and they will be their, he will be their God. And they will never be separated. That's the cosmic fulfillment. That's the hope that while I'm looking back 
to the past and I can see that the cosmic work of Jesus has created a place for me. I can look forward to the hope that one day He's going to bring that all to completion. That the goal He started back then for God to be among people will happen. It will take place. And I can fully trust it. I can hold on to it. And I'm waiting for the day. However, what do we do now? So we're in in the present. And they have faith. Paul's celebrating that, that the work Jesus began brings change. And that the hope that one day the change will be fully complete. In the meantime, what do they do while they wait? Well, Paul writes what they're already doing. They express their faith and their hope through the love of God's people. And some of you are, and that love, that word there, here's your Greek word for the day. You've probably heard it a bunch of times. It's a Greek word, agape. Can we say this together? Ready? One, two, three. Agape. One more time. One, two, three. Agape. One more time. One, two, three. Agape. And agape means sacrificial love. It is the love that has moved so deeply that I'm willing to give whatever is necessary in order for that love to be given to that person that I am agape loving. And Paul says, while you have trust and faith in what Jesus began and there's a place for you, and while you're waiting with great hope and anticipation of the completed work of the cosmic Christ, in the meantime, you express that faith and that hope through loving God's people. Now some of you are saying, I knew it. Those church people only care about church people. All right, ready? Wait. (laughs) That is kind of our modern church understanding. And if we jump right into, I knew church people only care about church people, then we miss the radical historical nature of those house churches that were popping up all across the Mediterranean because of Paul and other missionaries where Paul says, and a seed gets planted and it blooms and these little house churches send out others who, who create new house churches where this radical love lifestyle is lived out, where people are sacrificing, where people are breaking down those cultural boundaries, those ethnic boundaries, those socio economic boundaries and are living together the church folks was radical and so to say you are loving god's people means you are loving someone different than yourself and poor and rich can be together and masters and servants can be together and men and women can be together and jew and gentile can serve together because someone greater began something that creates a place in god's family and he is working it out to the fullest extent and it will be here one day and while i wait between faith and hope i can love someone who's different I can show what that kingdom that is coming, we can begin to live that lifestyle here and now, today. That's the radical nature. The problem is, is we've just become so safe that we only gather together with people we like. And then it does feel like, well, the church only cares about church people. But the church in Colossae was radical. 
doing something incredibly different because of what Jesus had done. They were showing that their city's radical, they were showing their city Jesus' radical alternative to the divisions that were deemed normal in their society. Through their agape, sacrificial love, they were showing that Jesus' way is the way. They were showing that Jesus' truth is the truth. They were showing, living out, that Jesus' life is the way to full, complete life. And that that life can be lived here and now. So when Paul says, you express your faith and your hope through loving God's holy people, he was expressing what was so radical that Jesus had changed everything. And we were now invited to live in this place. I tried so hard to think of what this would be like for today in our day and age. And the closest I could come to is is like to look in our world and to look and see Ukrainians and Russians. It would be like Ukrainians and Russians or Israelis and Palestinians having a radical encounter with the cosmic Jesus Christ to where they begin to realize that there is something so much greater and of so much more value and worth than my ethnic or national identity. And I've got to lay that down and that person that I'm actually fighting could be my family member if only I would allow Jesus to forgive me and to forgive them and we could move on into this great kingdom that he is bringing one day to be fulfilled. It would be like a Black Lives Matter activist and a Klansman realizing and encountering something so vast, so great, so loving that they realize that there is something greater than their activism and the cause that they are fighting and they would seek forgiveness to be concluded as a part of that family and to reach out to say, you are my brother. And even though we've been on opposite sides because of what Jesus has done, there is something radically different that can happen here. It would be like Democrats and Republicans realizing and encountering Jesus in all of his greatness and glory and realizing there is something so much bigger than party politics that they drop their signs and realize that you might be my brother or my sister and we are moving into the great kingdom that the cosmic Jesus is going to fulfill one day. It would be like prisoners and prison guards realizing all the things that they've done together, catching a vision of what Jesus has done, invites them to the same level ground at the cross and invites them to begin to hope in the full consummation of what Jesus' great cosmic plan is for our world. Folks, this is a big vision. And we're only on verse 4 and (laughs) 5. But that little church in the middle of Colossae, I tried to look it up on a map. Did you know there's only just a few stones left of that whole city? It's never been excavated. They know where it is, but it's a farmer's field, and he doesn't like scientists and Bible nerds poking around in his field. But that little church was proving the power of Jesus' ability to redeem their past. They were given, they were providing, proving the power of Jesus to give them a shared present no matter where they came from. And they were showing that the power of Jesus is moving into a brand new creation of heaven and earth. And over the next few weeks, my friends, my prayer for me and for us together is that we will be exploring the radical call of this letter 
that we will be confronted. Yeah, I'm going to use that word. That you, me, us, together, we would be confronted by the cosmic Jesus. We would begin to see that in Him all things were created for Him and to Him. And in Him all things hold together. That we would begin to wrestle with some tough questions over this next couple of weeks. Here they are. Here's the ones that that hit me hard. In my desire, in our desire to be correct, have we lost the cosmic compassion of Jesus? That sees the other and realizes it's an opportunity because of what Jesus did. There's a place for them at the table. And he's going to be a part of this giant thing that's someday going to come to be. In our desire for power, have we lost the pervasive presence, the, the persuasive presence of Jesus? It's where we chase, if we could just get enough power, we can make a real difference in the world. I think Paul would say, no, you, you need a bigger view of Jesus. You need to see the cosmic nature of who he is, that he is changing all things. And if you're in his presence, that will be persuasive if you're living out his kingdom that will show a difference that persuades more than any power could ever show you folks in our desire to be comfortable have we lost our vision of the cosmic Jesus who is with us who is in us who is leading us to what he is going to do as He recreates heaven and earth. The one who's worthy of it all. Can we sing that? You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all and to you are all things you deserve the glory you're worthy of it all you're worthy of it all for from you are all want to give us a couple minutes we're going to sing that again i want to invite you to just know you're in the presence of the cosmic jesus and i want to set you free to worship him however you feel as we sing this you can stand you can raise your hands maybe you want to come and kneel at an altar seek to be in his family whatever that is i just want to invite you to do that as we sing you're worthy of it all you're of it all for from you are all things and to you are all things you deserve the glory your word 
missing the mark of seeing how truly radical what you began in your life, death, and resurrection. Creating a space for someone like me to be in God's family, to be included. To fail to see and remember the great and glorious future that you are calling me and the world to. ways that I have failed to love the other. Father, as pastor of this congregation, there are beautiful ways that this church is reaching out to the others, and I am so humbled and grateful to be their pastor and to be appreciated. But God, I also know that we still need to grow in our faith of what you have done, in our hope of what you're doing, and in loving the other sacrificially the way that you loved us. So over these next few weeks, confront us. May we encounter you in all of your majestic, loving power and glory. May it change us. May we surrender ourselves to you. May we begin to live and be like that radical church in Colossae that dares to love the other while singing that you're worthy of it all. We pray and we ask all of these things in your name, Lord Jesus. For in you all things hold together. Help us to live into that, for we pray this in your name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand and receive this blessing? And now, my friends, my brothers and sisters, may you see your faith in what Jesus has done increase and grow. May you be in awe and wonder that a place for you has been created. I pray that the hope of the completed work of Jesus in the world, in the cosmic world, in the universe, will begin to trickle into your imagination and change things. And may you dare in your offices, in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, dare to sacrificially love the other, whoever they may be. And I pray you would do this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit one God forever and ever. Go in his name. Go in his grand vision of who he is. Thank you for joining us online. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next week. God bless you.
thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week. Thank you.